Pasa Mufasa. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Let's get down to business. Que pasa, Mufasa, Hamilton Pevic. Welcome back to the Micopreneur Podcast. One of my favorite filmmakers in this space coming off a wonderful recognition. You just premiered Azarescence through a blue lens, your newest film, at the Fungi Film Festival in Portland. And one best edutainment, which is well-deserved, in my opinion, from your previous body of work, everything I've seen. Congrats on that, first off. And how does it feel to be an award-winning filmmaker now? Oh, it's, it's lovely. It's lovely. It's, it's a great honor to be in such good company of other great films and filmmakers. Uh, going to festivals is always fun because you get to represent and meet the other filmmakers. And the uh, Fungi Film Festival this year had a wonderful selection of films. And so it was a great honor to be in such good company. And um, of course, it feels good to be acknowledged for my work. And um yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with how it all went down and I'm pleased with the film. So far, it's being very well received. So I look forward to uh, future uh, film festivals and more screenings of this film in particular. And, um, you know, it's a very niche uh, topic, but um, getting acknowledged and recognized for it uh, motivates me that and inspires me like maybe other film festivals will be into it regardless of its uh, content matter. Well, as one filmmaker to another, I'm a huge fan of your work. I find you to be an auteur, okay? Like the attention to detail and just the overall narrative arc of everything I've seen you put out into the world is really impressive. And I feel like you're really, you are an underrated filmmaker. You know, there's so many people watching content on social media. I feel like you're a filmmaker's filmmaker. Like your content is not built for social media. It's built for these big screens. It's built for theatrical viewing experiences. This is my perception. I'm curious about this recent success you've had. Do you look to build off of this and to get into more festivals? And are you looking to tour this film? Or what's the release strategy moving forward for Azarescence through a blue lens? Well, thank you very much for saying so. I appreciate the sentiment very much. I, I will definitely enter this into new festivals. Uh, it's really tough uh, to get into festivals these days. Over the last five or six years, the um, the way that you get into festivals has kind of been flipped upside down on its head. Um, for you know the first fifteen years of my career, you would get into a festival and then you would get distribution deals and you know people would acknowledge your work and it was kind of like the first window of opportunity to be acknowledged. And now it's the other way around. Now you have to be acknowledged first before festivals want you. And um, so it makes everything more difficult. And of course, you know, putting my work out there in, onto the internet uh, is just, you know, a drop in the ocean of lots and lots of content. So it's difficult to be uh, seen at all these days. And, um, you know, I'm just happy to be doing my artwork and, and doing my thing. And, um, and, uh, it, it, it just feels good to be able to pay myself to make the, the films that I care about. Yeah, that's one of the unique features of your work in this space is that you own Hamilton's Mushrooms, which, of course, does direct-to-consumer products. But you're also involved in brokering deals, you know, involving large amounts of mushrooms. 
coming over from China. So you've got your fingerprints all over this space. So as far as the film Azarescence through a blue lens, I'm curious about your reception with all these people who would prefer to kind of be secretive about the location of Azarescence, right? It's like when you're a mushroom hunter and specifically with Azarescence, I don't think people want to broadcast where they're finding all this stuff. So you have a number of interviews in the film with people like Shelby Hartman from Double Blind, who we've had on the podcast before, and you know a number of other people. What was it like asking them you know, to, to publicly speak for a film about Azarescence and about their habits and their strategies for hunting these things? My process um, is to first pitch people on the idea that I'm doing. And then if they're on board with the idea and willing to speak on camera about sensitive issues, then I proceed with interviewing them. And then my process includes uh, you know, showing them a rough cut of the film once it's at a place where they understand where the film is going and getting their blessing before I show it to the world. This is absolutely critical to me and making sure that the the people who are in the movie are on board with the story that I'm telling and the like the message that I'm delivering through through it. And of course, you know, Azure Essence through a blue lens is about Psilocybe Azure Essence, which is a um, very powerful psychedelic mushroom. Uh, and some people in the film concealed their identity, other people didn't. And uh, I asked them why they did this and they had their own reasons. And, you know, getting people to speak openly and honestly about this topic uh, is just a matter of uh, building trust in the relationship between the storyteller and the subject matter. Uh, in this case, the people being willing to share their, um, you know, these, these sort of opinions about this sensitive issue. Um, now, of course, the idea of the psychedelic movement within the United States right now, I think is about normalizing in some way, like allowing uh, this topic not to be stigmatized. And the more we talk about it openly and the more we discuss these things outside of our little communities, uh, the better it is, you know, uh, uh, the more appropriated it can be and more normal it can be in, in just general discussion, you know, uh, for lack of a better comparison, you know, talking about, you know, these conventional uh, over-the-counter medicines like Advil or NyQuil or something like that. Nobody like hushes away at that, but, uh, but you start talking about magic mushrooms and then, you know, there might be someone who's uncomfortable about that. So having this open discussion, I think is really important. And, um, you know, some of the criticism so far about the film has been talking about its location, like the location of the mushroom. Now, I don't outwardly say this is where you find the mushroom, um, but and, and only people who have been to these locations will recognize the images uh, of this place. And um, even one person on TikTok um, said that uh, they would boycott the film. Um, and I said, go for it, you know, like do do whatever you feel is right. Uh, but. You know, also people are like, oh, well, why are you, <clears throat> why are you revealing the location of this, uh, this rare and precious mushroom that only exists in this very small geographic area? And um, so the first thing I say is, you know, I'm not actually telling anybody where it is exactly. 
And secondly, you know, I literally have uh, a, a few hundred people who watch my work regularly um, compared to, say, Michael Pollan, who has an audience of millions who actually gave away the location uh, in his book, um, How to Change Your Mind, that came out a few years ago. So, you know, I, I don't really feel like I'm doing any damage uh, um, for the um, local foragers in the area. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, the location is actually critically important to the narrative of the film because it looks at the role of the fungi in the ecology. And this is one of the most interesting aspects of Psilocybe azurescens is how it performs as a decomposer and what specifically it is decomposing and why that matters. And that's what the film gets into. Right on. Yeah, you can't really take too much of that TikTok criticism super legitimately from <laughs> speaking from my own experience. It's quite an interesting platform. And okay, so this dovetails nicely into Prop 122, right? You're based in Colorado in Aspen. So you have a horse in this race, you know, being someone who's active in the mushroom space, and you've been public facing with your work in regards to psychedelic mushrooms, right? You're not one of those hush hush people who doesn't want to talk about it. And now this culture is being shaped right before our eyes of legal psychedelic mushrooms in Colorado. And that being your home state, I would imagine you have some insights and some perspectives related to this policy that's being shaped right now. So first off, were you a supporter or a critic of Prop 122. And a second part to that question is what are some of the tangible outcomes that you see coming in Colorado as someone, you know, working in the mushroom community who all of a sudden is positioned in this very popular, very controversial legal landscape that's emerging? I had to do uh, quite a lot of research and reading and soul searching before I decided one way or the other on Prop 122. Uh, I read quite a lot of articles, uh, particularly from Double Blind Magazine, that helped me come to terms with the real issues at stake within Prop 122. And I ultimately landed on the side of voting against it. And um, for a number of reasons um, that, you know, basically the language in the bill is very, very vague. Um, you know, it says things like, uh, you're allowed to grow and possess as much as is necessary for you and your friends. And so it doesn't get specifically into possession limits. Uh, and that's on the decriminalized side of the, of the law. And then, um, you know, it says things, it uses words like, uh, uh, an individual is allowed to own and operate up to five treatment centers, but then it doesn't use any language about uh, corporations. It deliberately leaves out sort of uh, this this very important language, which is the, the corporate aspect of this. So it's really, in my opinion, opening the door to a kind of corporate takeover. And as far as my limited understanding of the, of the measure goes. Um, and then on the legal side of things, these treatment centers are where the medicine is actually uh, legal, where, um, you know, you can use it under supervision. And then, of course, uh, because there's no details um, about the law within the law, the state is creating uh, an appointed committee uh, that will work with the criminal justice system in order to 
sort out those details. So we won't really know what a detail is about, for example, possession limits until somebody gets arrested and the matter goes to the criminal justice system and then it has to be a you know, sorted out in this you know, committee. So we're kind of in this interesting um, Wild West kind of gray area right now where it's going to be boom time in Colorado for sure. Um, and we're all just going to sort it out as we go. And as one of my good friends said, you know, this, this law was written in a kind of one step forward, two steps backwards kind of way. So now the door is open and it's up to us to sort of figure it out. And, um, you know, I'm not upset that the bill passed, not by, you know, it doesn't, you know, that's the past now. It's time to move on and make it work for the community and for people who, um, for people who already have um, a voice inside the community like myself, you know, it's important for, uh, for us to step up, to be a resource to other people and to, um, you know, voice our opinions and, and, and express our, our, um, how should I say this? You know, just, just be, um, uh, a resource for the people who are interested in it and want to learn more about it. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to see how this unravels. We're in a really interesting time. And, um, you know, over the next few years, things will settle down, I'm sure. And I, I, I look forward to seeing how it all goes down. You know, it's going to make for some very interesting stories, for sure. I'm probably going to have to do a follow-up film on psychedelic mushrooms, you know, over the next few years. Yeah, I understand that you've got a number of different films that are currently in the works in various stages of development. The first one of yours that I saw was Suklal's Hunt, of course, which we had you on the podcast to promote that a few months ago. Now we've got Azorescence out. And the guiding narrative, sort of the guiding strategy that you have, as far as I understand, is that you've started a company, Hamilton's Mushrooms, and you're selling direct to consumers, right? People can buy various cordyceps and you can buy lion's mane. You can tell people a lot more about that. And then you're also brokering larger scale deals. And the primary source of these mushrooms is China. And this is something I am fascinated with. I have a number of friends on both sides of the aisle here who either endorse the mushrooms that are coming from China, so long as you know your source, right? And then there's this other sentiment of people who push back against that, who say, you need to buy local, this is bad, Chinese mushrooms, bad. And you've been pretty outspoken about your support of the Chinese mushroom industry, which of course is much older than the United States mushroom industry, and also about the quality control and the actual, the actual substances and the nutrients that you're getting from Chinese mushrooms. You claim that you have wonderful compounds that are in these things. So I'm just curious, got to hear your perspective. Why should people consider using Chinese mushrooms? Why are Chinese mushrooms potentially a valuable supplement? And yeah, just please weigh in on this whole Chinese mushrooms good versus Chinese mushrooms bad debate for us. Oh man, that's a lot to unpack. It's a, it's a complicated issue. Um, I want to start with uh, sort of the American attitude, this presupposition that everything from China is low quality. I mean, that's what has been ingrained in us since childhood, that cheap plastic crap is manufactured there and products from China, um, you know, are low quality and they fall apart. And, you know, if you want something to last, it better be American made. Um, and I think there is some truth to that in that framework of like, 
manufactured goods. I think there is an exception to lots of things in that uh, framework. And one of those exceptions is uh, medicinal and functional and gourmet mushrooms. Um, we, we are just, you know, at, we being the uh, West, um, including Europe, um, are, you know, a, a couple millennia behind in terms of mushroom culture, mushroom technology, mushroom cultivation, and everything we know about it, we've learned from the East. And, um, you know, that's, that's just part of our learning curve. And of course, uh, you know, patriotism comes, factors into this as well. And, uh, I, I think it's, um, a part, part, partially, uh, kind of a marketing thing as well. Like anyone who does American made anything is like that's up front and center on their products. Uh, and mushrooms are, are no exception economically. Uh, what it comes down to within the U S is that it's economically unfeasible to produce mushrooms in any significant amount. Um, and, and still maintain, uh, high quality, high potency products. And by potency, I mean, um, active compounds, uh, which are changing throughout every strain. And, um, so yeah, I think, I think Chinese mushrooms are getting a unfair, uh, rap in the U S uh, primarily rooted in our, in our cultural xenophobia. And, uh, I hope to dispel some of that and most of those, uh, preconceived misconceptions about Chinese mushroom culture in a new series that I'm producing, um, that will be, uh, tentatively called the truth of the Chinese mushroom industry, which I will, you know, go into every criticism and break it down and look at what, what the reality of the situation is. Uh, one of the big criticisms of Chinese mushrooms is that, oh, the, the mushrooms are being grown, um, in these super polluted areas and they're absorbing all this air pollution and, you know, all these toxic chemicals are, are in the product, which is just patently untrue. The vast majority of mushroom farms in China are in rural areas, far from urban centers. And, um, you know, it doesn't take, uh, very long, uh, of, you know, searching the internet to find out, uh, that that is actually true. Um, all of my mushrooms, uh, that are manufactured and extracted in China are tested, um, by, um, uh, docs certified labs in Europe. And so they go through a rigorous process. Uh, all of my mushrooms are certified organic by a German authority called Ceres. Um, and there's, there's a strict procedure in order for those mushrooms to pass quality control measures. Uh, I'll tell you a story, for example, about turkey tail mushrooms, which are primarily wild harvested in China. And they rarely pass quality control measures because the, the, the foragers that are out there picking the mushrooms are collecting them in old agricultural chemical bags. And so the residue from the bags gets on the fruit body of the turkey tails. And when they go in to be tested before they're um, macerated and put into the extraction process, uh, they test positive for all kinds of uh, agricultural pesticides. And um, so this is one of the big reasons why I don't actually have a turkey tail product, uh, a standalone turkey tail product, because the supply chain issues are, 
are difficult at best. And um, so this is one of the you know, real issues that, that uh, is within this massive industry. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, batches do come through that are clean and pass quality control. And then when they arrive in the U.S., they're tested again, you know, and it's um, it costs a lot to do these testings. You know, every uh, HPLC test for a specific compound or pesticide uh, costs extra. So, you know, I'm paying quite a lot um, in order to make sure that these mushrooms pass quality control and are 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 nice um and safe for the consumer uh this is this is a subject that is so massive um and like i understand where american producers are coming from one thing that we're missing in the u.s fundamentally is a quality control system for the mushroom industry period like this is one of the projects that i'm working on right now is to create a standard for testing for growers for extractors, for brands that don't have affordable access to testing. And, and I'm talking about testing all active constituents, everything from the triterpenes in uh, Chaga and Ganoderma all the way through to, you know, the novel compounds like cordycepin and arenacine, hericinones, and um, really like make using a cooperative buying power in order to make these tests available. And I already have a number of big brands involved in this effort. And uh, there's uh, three or four labs already signed on to take this effort on. But what we need is basically a stamp that we can put on our products within the US that that is the bridge of trust that connects the product to the American consumer and all the uh, poo-pooers out there that are saying, you know, any mushroom that isn't American is a shitty mushroom which is just unfair. But, you know, it's an effective marketing scheme. So, you know, whatever. It is what it is, you know. Here we are navigating this new industry altogether. And my ethos uh, as a company and as a, as a, as a brand is uh, to connect and build these relationships, you know. A rising tide lifts all the boats. So any research that I'm doing right now uh, and building these cooperatives to, to create a, a standard of testing, this is for everybody. This is for all the businesses out there that are trying to make their... Um, you know, create their, their, their space inside this, um, blossoming, um, industry within the U S and, and, and the Western world. So, you know, you know, as much as, uh, there is criticism out there, it doesn't bother me too much because I know the reality of the situation and, um, and it's up to the, to me and, and other content creators to create, uh, content, around this to dispel the myths about the industry. So, you know, I, you know, this is just scratching the surface to be fair, Dennis, like it's a massive issue and I, uh, I hope to explore it, uh, much more in depth, um, uh, over the next couple of years as I produce this documentary series. So that, and that, that, let me just mention now that the film Azure Essence Through a Blue Lens and Sukhlal's Hunt these are episodes within a documentary series that I'm producing. 
Um, so each, each episode is about a mushroom and then we explore the relationships around that mushroom. So, you know, what's its role in the ecology? Who are the people, uh, foraging it? Why does this mushroom matter for economics, society, culture, and just explore those relationships because real stories are about relationships and not just, um, uh, one specific, uh, thing or, or, or subject matter. Uh, what makes entertaining content is watching people change and grow and empathizing with the people who are on screen. Character development. Absolutely. And that applies to ecosystems as well. So I, I'm going to be following that content closely, of course. And I'm also curious about your experiences going over to Asia, right? Suklal's hunt was filmed on location in Nepal above the tree line where you actually followed people foraging for cordyceps, ophiocordyceps mushrooms, right? Which are some of the rarest and most highly valued and prized mushrooms in the world. And it's also my understanding you've spent some time in China and I, I suppose we'll hopefully be going back there. I know it's quite difficult these days with all the quarantining and this and that and the other, but is that something that's on the agenda for the near future for you is to actually go over to China again and tap in with some of these cultivators and, and farms and suppliers in person? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Of course. Of course. Um, you know, one of the interesting things, uh, this is just one more myth, uh, that needs to be dispelled is that the mushroom industry in China is consolidated into these massive uh, warehouse style um, grow operations um, where, of course, there are big grows. But the truth of the matter is there are thousands of small farms distributed throughout the whole country. Um, and, and those farms and which mushrooms they grow are really determined by the climate um, uh, so, so, so the strains that those farms are growing are determined by where those farms are, are physically located and the climate in those places. So, you know, these, these, uh, it's, it's nice to know that we are supporting these small family farms, you know, that's some, some measure of comfort. And, um, and then of course, all the mushrooms that need to be grown inside, like, um, Cordyceps, for example, is, is, you know, grown in a much more controlled environment. The point that I'm trying to make is that there are thousands of distributed farms throughout the country. And these farms and which strains they grow are determined by the climate where those farms are physically located. Um, for example, there are two, or two villages right next to each other in a region of China that is ideal for growing lion's mane. So literally like the vast majority of the lion's mane that goes out to the market is grown between these two villages, which is insane to think about because that's literally thousands of tons of lion's mane mushroom going out onto the market. And uh, I like to think about that because uh, the, the, the misconception is that these, uh, these grows are like massive impersonal warehouses, but that's just not the case. Um, and so, yes, I'm going back to meet the farmers and to, you know, understand the process on a much more intimate level and, um, and to, you know, cultivate those relationships because that's what matters. Yeah, I'm coming with you, man. I'm just going to invite myself right here and now because that sounds like an extraordinary trip. I, I was in China in 2006, and I actually think that was the first time I'd ever seen reishi as I saw a vendor selling reishi mushrooms 
And I wasn't really aware of functional mushrooms yet. I had developed an interest in psychedelic mushrooms by 2006 when I was in China, but I didn't understand this whole broader universe of the lion's mane, the cordyceps, this, that, and the other. So I have that image imprinted viscerally in my mind, and I can't wait to get back there. And you've been doing a bit of traveling yourself this year, right? Uh, you just got back from Portland, of course, from the Fungi Film Festival. And earlier this year, you hosted a retreat at Bayul, I believe it's called, in Colorado. And you also hosted your first retreat and foray in, in Grenoble, France, or in the region around there. So what's on the agenda for next year, and how do you feel hosting these retreats now? It's just this whole other aspect to what you're doing that's suddenly been rolled out. Yeah, well, a big part of why... I have a mushroom company to begin with is in order to finance mycology. It's a kind of added value proposition. Like when you buy my products, you are financing uh, the mycology within the US. Eventually I hope to be doing actual science. Um, right now I'm kind of science adjacent because of this, uh, this uh, cold fire project, which is about using uh, fungi to do fire mitigation uh, like pre-fire mitigation, where we basically cut and chip all the dry wood and deadfall within a forest and then inoculate it to accelerate the decomposition rate. And this is based on research done by uh, Jeff Ravage and Dr. Lauren Chaplicki, where they proved that this does accelerate the decomposition rate and lower fire risk overall. So I'm really excited about that project. The Bayul Mushroom Retreat is going to be happening again, and this is really just an attempt to elevate mycology in my area and bring in mycologists to present and educate and participate um, because we're in this very sort of remote region of the mountains where um, there's a high interest in mycology, but not a lot of mycology actually happening. So this is a way just to uh, promote the culture in, in my zone. And then, of course, the uh, French Alps foray in the in the region of, of Grenoble um, is is a is an is an extension of that. You know, it's like, hey, let's go mushroom hunting together in this beautiful place and eat good food and 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 do the fun things and and do entry level uh, foraging methodology and you know entry level uh, mushroom identification and uh, and um, go out there and enjoy each other's company and learn about mushrooms as we do it and of course eat fantastic food all the while and i i uh yeah i mean it's it's just about um doing the things that are meaningful uh to me and you know that's that's why i am doing all of this is so that i can make movies that i care about so that i can do projects that i care about and contribute to this uh this new um revolution that we're having in the U.S. around mycology. It's uh, my small contribution to the effort. All right. Hamilton Pevick, wonderful filmmaker. Thank you very much for joining us on the Michaelpreneur podcast again. And I'm looking forward to having you back here many times in the future. Every time you release a film, please come on the podcast. And congrats again on the recent success of Azarescence Through a Blue Lens. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, always love what you're doing. And keep up the good work. And, um, you know, I, I really look forward to collaborating in the future. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com. 
or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Micopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micopreneur Podcast.